0: We are continuing our Summer in the Psalms, and you should see uh, the slide come up in a moment or two. And the title for today is, Whose House Is It Anyway? It's from Psalm 127. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 127. Whose house is it anyway? Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those who he loves. Sons are heritage from the Lord, children reward from him, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Lord, we thank you that about 3,000 years ago you inspired Solomon to write these words. And I thank you that the same Holy Spirit who inspired it is here now. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take these words and that you administer into our lives our situation... Something of the truth that is here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1, the Lord cares for our community. He watches over the city. Verse 2, the Lord cares for the breadwinner. After all these are hard work he's done, they can be content and sleep. The Lord cares for the next generation. Verse 3. And verse 5, the Lord gives protection from our enemies. I've rushed to that because basically what I want to say is, the house is our entire lives. The house is every aspect of our lives. And and I, I think this analogy of a house is a really powerful one. And, and I want you to imagine your dream house this morning. I've got a couple of pictures that might help just wet our appetites a little bit. So we're going to have the first one. Maybe it's something like that or the next one. Maybe it's under... I don't know. Too much cleaning. <laughs> so that is not Roger's dream house. So don't imagine that one, Roger. But just, just imagine that that was, just for the sake of bearing with me. Just imagine that that was your dream house. And you got the architect to draw up the plans... The plans were absolutely correct and in order, and you get the builder and you ask the builder to build it. Imagine how you would feel if, when you came to see what he'd done, we see the next slide. (laughs) He'd built that, or the next one. How would you feel? You're totally wrecking the sermon, Becky. (laughs) You see, you had this dream house in mind. You gave the builder the plans, and then he comes up with that. Did did the builder work hard? Well, did that just appear out of nothing? (laughs) There's, There's some work gone into that, hasn't there? Did he use materials that are waterproof and, you know, it is is—it is a house, isn't it? It's, it's not a, a pile of bricks. The builder put some effort into it. The builder worked hard and he produced that. But it was all in vain. You didn't ask for that. You didn't want that. It isn't part of your plan. You don't want to live there. The builder got it totally Wrong. He did not follow our plan. It was all in vain. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. It's an incredible plan. It's an awesome plan. And he wants us to build it. He wants us to fulfill his plan. If we ignore his plan... Our building will be in vain. We might work hard. But it will count for nothing. There is a very poignant passage in 1 Corinthians 3 where we get this picture of what will remain from our life's work. When all is said and done, what will remain? 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 to 15. No one can lay another foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If, he, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. But only as one escaping through the flames. God is gracious, and even if we don't build to the plan that he has designed for us, if we're in relationship with him, <laughs> we get into heaven, but by the skin of our teeth. You know, he is the architect. He has a plan. And, and he wants us one day to stand before him with some precious stones. <laughs> with some real, lasting, wonderful fruit for our lives. He is the architect. He has the plan. We get to build it with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, God doesn't just say, there's a the plan, muddle through somehow. No, he says... There's the plan, and he is the Holy Spirit, and he will help you. He will give you all that you need to follow the plan. It's almost 3,000 years ago that Solomon wrote the Psalm, and he knew the theory. He knew the theory. And in some aspects of his life, he followed the plan. But not all. You know, he was brilliant at being king. He was absolutely brilliant at ruling over the people. And I believe that the main reason for that was because right at the beginning of his reign, he asked God, that he recognized he needed God, and he said this, Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust on the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon says, God, I need you. (laughs) You've called me to be king and I need you and I need wisdom. And his wisdom became famous. We still even talk about it today. And and the, the, the times when he judged, for example, two ladies came to him with a baby, both claiming it's my baby. And so Solomon said, okay, I'll cut the baby in half and I'll give you half each. And then one of the women said, please don't do that. Give it to the other woman. And Solomon said, you're the mother. You're the mother. You care for the baby. It's yours. Take it. Incredible wisdom that God gave to him. So when it came to governance, Solomon is building to God's plan and it's wonderful. And then we see the second area that Solomon followed God's plan. He built the temple. To God's exact plan. You know, the amazing thing is that his father David had been given the blueprint in massive detail and Solomon stuck to every detail of the plan and he built this awesome temple for God. And when he had finished building it, and it took a long time, but when he, gets, he got to the point of the temple being finished, he prayed a prayer. I'm not going to read all of it. He said, O oh Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you. In heaven or on earth, you keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. What an awesome beginning to a prayer. And he keeps praying, at the end of his prayer the glory of God or the, the, the heavy presence of God just fills the entire temple. And nobody can stand because the presence of God is so strong. I want you to imagine the, this, this house that, that Solomon is building, his life, and, and you see here this awesome governance. You see here this Awesome obedience to God in the plan of the temple. And and they're spectacular. They're magnificent. Like granite frontage and great slate roof and oak doors and arched windows. It's awesome. And then you look over to the side of that and there is this broken down shack attached part of the house. It's rotten wood sides. It's leaky tin roof. And it's an absolute mess. What is going on with this third part? This part of the house that is not fit for purpose. The mess in one area of Solomon's life was sexual sin. It seems as though when Solomon saw a sexy lady, he had to take her for himself. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine is like a mistress... Now, so Solomon had a thousand women. Just imagine if he just took them to bed once a year, each one. That's, most days, three women a day. Isn't that mind-boggling? Now, it probably didn't work out like that, because maybe he only slept with some of them once. We don't know, but what we do know is that Solomon persistently yielded to sexual temptation. And in 1 Kings 11, God clearly shows that it wasn't his plan. And that Solomon had gone off the God plan onto a man plan. 1 Kings 11, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. It's sad, isn't it? Every single one of us in this room experiences sexual temptation. Every single one of us. No one is exempt from it. The question is not if we'll be tempted, but when we will be tempted. You know, the Christian life is awesome, but it's not easy. Do you agree? It's awesome, but it's not easy. And when I hear of of a a Christian leader who has built some amazing, magnificent stuff for God and then falls into sexual sin, I, I don't point the finger I don't criticise but say but for the grace of God there go I we're all tempted we should be careful not to criticise Solomon or others who, who fall but we also need to be wise and observe the devastation that the fall costs you show me somebody who has fallen sexually and I will show you a mess in their lives and the lives of others, it always results in mess. I don't want to minimize the cost of following the God plan. You know, for some people, same-sex attraction is tough. And I've discovered a brilliant website called www.livingout.org. Some great testimonies. I've got a testimony this morning of a guy called Sam. And uh, if we could have that now, Ben, that would be fantastic.
1: I'm Sam Alberry, I live and work in Maidenhead, and I'm a church pastor. I'm a Christian because I know that Jesus died for me, that he rose again from the dead, that there's good reasons for, for believing those things. I'm a Christian because... The message of Jesus makes far more sense of, of who we are as people and the way the world is than anything else I've ever come across. The church has been great with my whole issue of, of same-sex attraction. Certainly the church I'm a, I'm a member of uh, have been supportive. They've been an encouragement. People are, are wanting to, to be a good friend. And I've also appreciated that it's not defined how they see me it's not the lens through which they view me so they they've been great i've not had any experience of christians getting angry or rejecting me because of it most people haven't really battered an eyelid and have just sort of thought well we've all got our own issues this is one of yours i hope experiencing same-sex attraction having to kind of wrestle with it i hope it's made me a more empathetic character than i would have been otherwise it's not always been easy But I think going through that has helped me, I hope, to be a bit more patient with other people, to be a bit more understanding, I hope a bit more compassionate than I would have been. Being single actually has been a a real blessing. It's given me opportunities to do things I wouldn't have probably got round to doing if I was married or had children. And it's given me a a capacity for friendship that I don't think I would otherwise have. And it, it means a lot to me to be able to have a wide range of friends and to be able to I hope, be a good friend to others. Having same-sex attraction isn't always easy. Obviously, I'm experiencing desires that I don't want to have, and that is, at times, can be very, very painful. Uh, It can be quite frustrating. Um, There are times when it's made some friendships a bit tricky. And there are times, obviously, when when singleness isn't much fun either. All the, the sort of opportunities and advantages of it, there are times when it would be nice to have my own family. I'm convinced what, what the Bible says on this issue is good because I'm convinced God is good. I'm convinced God is good because actually Jesus has shown his goodness to me in his, his death and resurrection. I see the goodness of his, his words in, in so many areas of, of life. The one who, who made me and knows me better than I know myself is going to know what's good for me. The very best thing that God can do for anyone is to give them life in his son and the Christian life is all about Jesus and for as long as God is offering a relationship with Christ to anyone he is not anti them Uh, there are things God calls all of us to to turn away from there are things in in all of our lives that we need to uh, to rethink and to to kind of give over to God but actually knowing Jesus is is what it is all about and that is the greatest gift God can give us. And as long as that gift is being offered, and it is, God cannot truly be said to be anti anyone. One of the things Jesus says that that most, I guess, encourages me in this whole area, and I I hope it would encourage others in other areas too, is that Jesus said on one occasion that that anyone who leaves uh, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and homes and other things for him and for the sake of the gospel, even in this life, will receive a hundredfold in return so although we have to give things up to be Christian although we have to turn away from certain things leave certain things behind actually we we always even in this life receive far more back from Jesus than we ever give for him and so although there'll be certain kinds of relationships I'm I'm not going to enter into as a Christian I've received back from Jesus a whole wonderful other set of relationships um, within the, you know being part of a Christian community, being part of a church family. Um, and so it's, it's never a bad deal to follow Jesus.
0: I think it's great, the honesty that, that Sam is saying, look, I'm sticking to God's plan and it's tough. You know, it's not an easy plan for him to stick to, but he's sticking to it because he knows that it's the best plan. And uh, I think that is, is a fantastic testimony. Uh, when I listened to him, he said, you know, that it, it's tough, uh, but he has issues in that area, but other people have issues in other areas. <laughs> we all have those areas that are tough for us. It might be nothing like that area at all, but we all have Areas that are, the issues that are hard for us. And I'm just going to quickly look at another follower of Jesus Christ, Peter. And and the prime uh, area that he struggled with was, was the problem of suffering. And he could not see suffering fitting into the plan at all. You know, like Solomon had such a, a magnificent house. Peter had such a magnificent house. And, and he was so on it. And Jesus said at on one occasion, Who do you think I am? And he said, You're the Christ. You're the son of a living God. And Jesus said, you're spot on there, Peter. The Father has revealed that to you. You're so in tune with God, Peter. You're spot on. You've got it 100% right. So Peter thinks, you know, I am brilliant with revelation. I'm I'm this great guy. You know, I get it right. I'm I'm superb. Uh, Just listen to me, guys. And then the next thing that comes out of his mouth isn't great at all. And uh, if I could just find it in Matthew... 16, verse 21. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You know, Peter moves from a God plan to a man plan without blinking almost. And it stinks. Because it's a satanic plan. It's not the Father's plan. You see, Peter did not want a plan with any suffering in it. You know, I love the fact that Jesus didn't write Peter off. He didn't write him off because he didn't understand. You know, he just didn't understand. So he didn't write him off. And even though he denied knowing Jesus, and even though, you know, he went off the plan, there came a moment where Jesus speaks to him in John 20. Yes, Peter, you've messed up. But unlike Solomon, who didn't get back on plan, Peter got back on plan. See, the amazing thing is, if you're off plan this morning, you can get back on plan today. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. Do you love me or feed my lambs? If you love me, then tend my sheep. See, Peter had been given an incredible promise from Jesus. Jesus had said this to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. That's when he'd said you're the Christ. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Basically, Jesus said, build my church, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Jesus is saying, if you love me, get back on plan. Do what I've asked you to do. But there's a cost, Peter. In John 21, he says, the cost is you're going to suffer for me. The cost is you're going to die for me. Peter doesn't like suffering, does he? (laughs) didn't like Jesus to suffer. He didn't want to suffer. But he counts the cost, and then he says, count me in. And in effect, Jesus, uh, Peter is saying, I don't want to be Simon the fisherman. I want to be Peter the rock. I want to be the church builder, not the fishmonger. I came across this quote the other day in my readings from Oswald Chambers. Um, and if we could just find that, it's the last slide Oswald Chambers said this, A true disciple is one who has his new name written all over him. Self-interest, pride, and self-sufficiency have been completely erased. Isn't that amazing? It's tough stuff, that, but it's true, isn't it? You see, that is saying, God's plan, God's way, in God's power, not my plan, in my way, in my power. Peter died to self in order to live for Jesus, even to suffer in order to fulfill the plan. First sermon, 3,000 people served. Pretty good going, isn't it? Pretty good church building, isn't it? Awesome. Last week in the USA... African-American Christians gathered at a prayer meeting at a church in Charleston. They were there following God's plan. God says, do not neglect to meet together. It's a plan. They were following the plan. It wasn't a man idea, it was a God idea. That's why they were there. As they did, nine of them were shot dead. I don't know if any of you saw the news broadcast of some of the family members forgiving the gunmen. If you haven't, go online, look at BBC News. Family members saying, "Yes, I'm hurting, but we, I forgive the killer." Those people are like diamonds shining in the dark situation, aren't they? You know, when they stand before Jesus, that's going to be a precious stone. It's going to last for eternity. It's tough, isn't it? Jesus said, forgive even your enemies. And so it's part of the plan. And so they're saying, we'll do that. We'll follow the plan. It's tough. Sometimes we talk as though the Christian life is just so easy. It's like a bed of roses. And it's all glory, glory, glory. That's true, but it's only part of the truth. It's only part of the truth. You see, these guys, these African-Americans, were not building with wood, hay and stubble, but with precious stone that will last for eternity. It's a beautiful addition to their house. I'm sure that they were tempted to go off plan. Don't you? Don't you think they were tempted to be bitter and twisted and say, I'll never forgive you for taking my love for Wouldn't that be a normal human reaction? But they didn't have a normal human reaction. They followed... God's plan. The question for us all in closing is simply this. Are you on plan or off plan? Are you following the God plan? Or the man plan or the woman plan? As I was preparing this, I was challenged. And, and I, God said, you become weary in well-doing. And God says, do not become weary in well-doing. You're off the plan. God says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and I realized I was not rejoicing in the Lord always. Way short of it. And the words of an old hymn came into my mind. that I've not sung for decades. I didn't know it that well. So it was obviously God. Fill thou my life, O Lord my God. In every part with praise, that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways. And I had to kick up the bum. And I thought I'd better get back on Bland now. So I started to praise. It was amazing. Something changed inside of me as I began to praise.